Thanks for tuning in. Today, I am really, really excited to have Mallory Lee join us on the, the hot seat today. Uh, Mallory comes with, uh, I would say, extensive uh, mops and just marketing and RevOps experience. Um, she was back in the day at Exact Target, uh, running the, the mops function there, then VP of RevOps at um, Terminus. And uh, as of right now, um, went from VP of RevOps to VP of Ops in general at Nylas, uh, an awesome, uh, I'm going to say calendar API tool, but I know it's like, it's a lot more than that. Uh, but Mallory, thanks a ton for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good to see you. Absolutely. Yeah, we're really, really excited. So I guess to, to kick things off, I think given um, your background, you know, like working at Terminus, which is more of the kind of like ABM style uh, vendors and now being at Nihilus, which um, sells to developers and has um, a very PLG approach because it's a bit of a, a beat to dev. Uh, I'm really curious to hear from your perspective, um, how is PLG fundamentally or just how is PLG different from uh, ABM? It's a great question. I mean, I think that generally speaking, they do have their similarities, of course. Um, one similarity is that they're both a big movement right now, right? So a lot of popularity growing on, I would say, the categories, each of them. Um, but for me, the biggest difference is that when you're thinking about an account-based motion, you're really starting with that concept of your ICP and the company that you want to go after, and you're picking who that target list is. And then you're trying to figure out who's in the buying committee who should I be talking with to get some attention at this company and figure out, are they interested in, you know, having some conversations with us? So you're starting at the top and working your way down to the user level. And I think that when you're talking about a product led motion, it's very different because you're starting at that user level. And oftentimes you need to work your way up to understand who does have the power to buy your product, um, who is part of the buying committee. But really quickly, you're able to glean who's interested in it because they've come and they've signed up for maybe a trial or they've come around to kick the tires on the product. And as quickly as you can get those users into the product and using it and um, getting excited about it, the more apt they are to bring you to the rest of that buying committee because they've already decided that they're interested in using your product. So I think I would describe ABM as top down and PLG as bottom up, but in both cases, you're just trying to figure out, you know, who's got the buyer, who's got the power to buy the thing and who's going to use it and what kind of value are they trying to gain from using the product? And I'm really curious because you used the word, and I know when the first time we spoke, you also mentioned that word. So you used the word movement. Is there yeah. something behind that word or, or I guess like, is it a loaded term for you? And what, what do you mean by that? Um, I don't know if I would say it's a loaded term, but I think that I've been very lucky to witness and be very central to several big software trends, I guess you could say. So like you mentioned, I was at Exact Target uh, for a while and I was there when we um, acquired Pardot. And so right around that time, marketing automation was becoming this movement where you know, it's a bandwagon. And if you're not doing marketing automation, then you need to go explore it and you need to figure out how to do it. And people get very excited by these, um, these best practices or these, you know, trends. 
And they may not always have the full understanding of what it means and exactly how to strategically tackle that kind of topic, but they just gain so much popularity that everybody wants to do it um, because they think they're missing out on a good strategy. And so I was working through marketing automation for Exact Target during the time that we acquired Pardot. I was on the Pardot team for a little while and I just saw the crazy you know, competitiveness in that, in that space and the way that it consolidated. And then with account-based marketing, I was working at Terminus while that was really continuing to blow up. And every B2B company is like, okay, I know I need to do ABM, but what is it actually? And, you know, they would go out and make a purchase with a platform and start serving ads. But Again, you've got to have that strategy behind it if you're going to do it right. And I think if you're going to really benefit from it. And so even though Nihilus is not what I would call a PLG vendor, I'm just kind of having this empathy for companies that are PLG vendors, because I can only imagine that the rise in popularity is bringing a lot of demand, but also a lot of confusion. And people think that you can just be, you know, kind of doing PLG if you have a free trial or something like that, but there are a lot of fundamentals underneath it that I think make a good product led motion very strong. And it's not simple. It's not as simple as having like a free trial in my opinion. Yeah. I love that. Do you, do you feel like on the ABM front, we ever as a, as an industry overcame that preconception that it's just a tool rather than it's an actual strategy and a way of, you know, going about, getting your customers to, to buy your product? I think in certain pockets, they've gotten past that by now. Um, certainly the early adopters, I think, have probably realized that you can't just run the ads and have it take off like wildfire. So um, I think some people are starting to see it and you are seeing more consulting coming out around ABM as well. Um, but then, you know, in the other industries that are probably just now starting to adopt it, they may still have to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting even just to think in terms of how long it's taking for ABM to mature beyond just being a bunch of things in a stack and into what it really means as a strategy, which is also interesting because at the core, ABM is really enterprise selling and enterprise marketing. Mm -hmm. And I think it is telling that we're probably going to have a similar challenge on the PLG side where today, as you said, a lot of people just kind of conflate a PLG was slapping a free trial on your website rather than understanding, no, it's like our marketing has to talk to our users and we have to have a way for our users to then pitch the buyer at the organization, like the customer journey, like the whole company strategy has to be aligned around PLG. And it's not just a matter of, oh, we bought a PLG CRM. We're now PLG and we have a free trial. Great. Um, but I think there's something there of like, it is going to take a while for us as an industry to overcome that a little bit. Um, and I'm curious on a, like really from a, maybe more tactically from an ops and really rev ops perspective, do you see big, I mean, there's obviously big challenges of like working at the account versus the lead, but I'm just like curious, like what are some of the, the big differences that you see that stem from those two movements? Yeah, man, lead to account matching is a, a whole separate hour that I could spend. Um, <laughs> I would say generally the differences are going to be around, you know, getting that virality, you know, creating virality in a product experience. You want there to be extremely low friction. So 
you know, at Nyla's, if you want to start a free trial, the only thing you need is an email address and it doesn't even have to be a good one. Like anybody can come and put their email address in that's by design because we just want anybody to be able to come and try it. Um, but if you think about the, the availability of having some information to either like score that lead or follow up with that person or try to reach out and help them out. It's not very friendly to, you know, an SDR world or a sales perspective because it really is like very little information. So you have to have patience. You have to realize that this person is going to kick the tires before they decide if they want to speak with you. Um, I think it really forces you to put the user at the center of the journey, which is quite different than what I think a lot of B2B marketers are really doing. Even if they say that they want to, I don't think that we very often do that. Um, but if you are starting out this product-led motion with very little information and allowing them to experience the product first and really kind of get hooked on it before they raise their hand and say, yeah, I think that, you know, I want to introduce you to my product manager or I want to introduce you to um, the person who leads my team, you know, then you've got the the right to go and sell to that group of people. Um, but I think that as marketers in B2B, we're pretty used to pulling a list from Zoom Info and just hitting the phones for, you know, six hours a day. Um, and there's still some of that, don't get me wrong, but like, I think that if we're really putting the user at the center, um, you know, we're letting them have that experience first and we're letting the product sell itself before we're really getting in there and like trying to get everyone's attention. Yeah. And, and that really change has to change the way we, we think about the, the, the user journey. I know, uh, Elena Verna has like a couple memes over this that I think are, are brilliant. And if you don't follow her people listening, I, I highly recommend checking her content out on LinkedIn. She's upping her meme game and she has this one of um one man at a at the urinals and like another person just comes right next to him and it's like there's a hundred urinals but comes right next to him it's like hey i saw you signed up for your for our product like are you ready to talk and there is that like real awkwardness in in a lot of like early plg sales where SDR is like so used to like, oh my God, someone downloaded a white paper so I could now reach out to them. It's the same thing with someone signing up. Um, so I love the fact that you have low friction and and I love the fact you're, you know, saying like people have to start thinking of like when's an appropriate time and like how do we put the user at the, the center of this and not create a, again, like really awkward uh, experience for them. Yeah, I saw that meme for sure. That was a funny one. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a couple of companies that I think, again, it's like when you start thinking about the, like, how do we make the experience better for the user? There's, there's a lot of ways to do this. And I think there are companies that are doing really, really great jobs at this. Um, there's, for example, some database vendors that we work with, uh, what they'll do is when someone signs up for the product and through whatever process, they know what other competitive databases they may be using, then the outreach of the rep is like, hey, we have a PS team that can actually help you run a migration project if that's going to be helpful so that you can compare things. So you're less trying to push the sale and rather trying to figure out, okay, if they are signing up for our product, like what are they likely trying to achieve and how do we actually help them make that experience more frictionless? Um, and especially in the world of developers, the last thing they want to do is to get a pitch for a product. What they want is just like, how do you make the experience easier and potentially if you can take work away from them. 
that's even better. Uh, so I do think that's like one of the, the challenges. And as you said, because we, you know, want to allow people to use free domains, then it can be harder to, to run enrichment. But then if you're, you know, asking for information because you're showing the user that by giving the information, they're going to have a better experience. It mm -hmm. makes it more legitimate and you're more likely to get the right kind of information rather than asking them, oh, what's your company size and what's your budget? <laughs> uh, which, yeah, developers don't enjoy that much, surprisingly. I've been um, learning that because yeah. I came from the marketing technology world where everybody kind of just knew, hey, this is how the game is played. I will give you my information and then I will ignore you. Um, this time around, I'm learning that developer community really doesn't want to give you their work email address. And it sounds simple, but I think that if you're really embracing that kind of like user-centered design, not only should you wait until the right time to engage them, but your product needs to allow them to change their email address when they're ready. They might want to start out with their Gmail, but then after a few weeks when everything is looking good, they'll go ahead and convert and start paying and they need to get that receipt at their work address. And so they need to change their email. And that sounds very easy, but you know, it's not like building a product and having an email be like, you know, the unique key that you log in with just changing the email address is not that simple. So we even need to build the product around those use cases to allow people to really, you know, experience it the way that they want to. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And since you mentioned it, we're not going to spend an hour, but I, I do have to ask how, how do you folks think about lead to account? Like what, what does your, um, first off hierarchy look like and how do you manage it on the, on the RevOps side? Good question. So I've seen this done a lot of different ways. Um, especially as you think about, you know, the more traditional account-based flow and an inbound motion, my rule of thumb, I think, applies in all scenarios. And so my rule of thumb is that if you find it appropriate to know more than one person at a company and you want to have a conversation with more than one person at the same company, for sure, then it's better to have an account with two contacts attached to it so that I can see how they relate to each other. And that company is like deserving of having an account. Um, now in an account-based motion, you know right away that the account is worthy of having an account because you are probably intentionally going and finding five different people that work there and you're trying to talk to all of them. So in an account-based motion, you're more likely to start with that account object in Salesforce right away because you already know that they're a target. Um, now, in inbound marketing, you need to first qualify that lead. You need to understand if they're a fit for your business. Um, you know, are they in the right market? Do they fit your ICP, et cetera? Once you know about that and they're ready to have a conversation, you know, nobody these days, you know, rarely anybody buys on their own. So you know that you're going to eventually need that person that you talked to and, you know, the economic buyer. And so you want to go ahead and convert that lead over to an account, maybe with an opportunity, since you're going to be having sales conversations with them and getting into meetings. Um, at Nihilus, the team that was there before I joined 
had already built a quite strong lead to account matching mechanism on their own. It's kind of a custom built um, Salesforce setup. And so we do not always convert leads to their matching accounts right away, but we have them very strongly related to each other in the system in a way that uh, still makes it pretty obvious. Like this person works at this company, this company does have an account. And then we will auto convert the leads to the account in certain situations, if it's a customer or if it's an open opportunity or if it's top prospect. So we do have way more leads in the system at Nihilus than I have seen at other companies. But I do think that that's a little bit more natural in a motion where you are trying to get as many users as possible and you know that not all of them are going to become sales conversations. And um, do you have a concept of orgs? Like from a, like I sign up, that creates an org under me. Someone else from Matt Kudu signs up, that's another org. How, how does that hierarchy live in your systems? Yeah, so in Salesforce, they would get joined at the account. Mm -hmm. um, in the Nihilus product, we have to help them merge those when the orgs become combined down the road. Um, that's something that our team is working on to try to make it a little easier to relate them to each other because it's not uncommon to have multiple developers at the same company go test something independently. And so at the time, you know, they kind of need to decide like, which org do we want to use Nihilus from? How do I migrate my users? Um, that's definitely another, another challenge, I think, with the free trial and freemium process. Yeah. And I think this goes back to what we were mentioning earlier on, right? Like the fact that this is, it goes beyond slapping a free trial on your website. It also involves like from a product strategy or RevOps perspective, getting together and having this data strategy mapped out of like, well, you know, possibly one person can belong to multiple orgs. And how do we figure out what, you know, engagement or, or what, kind of activity from one org should relate to one account or things like that. Like how do we derive intense signals from that? And I think that's mm -hmm. a, an area where the industry still lacks a little bit in maturity and we're kind of lacking the, the, the blueprint right now. And every company is kind of figuring this out. And because it's such a cross-functional initiative, it's much harder to move things, right? Like on the ABM side, it was fairly easy, even though it was two teams like sales and marketing, but marketing could still drive how they're thinking about it in PLG, yeah. you have to involve growth. You have to involve product. You have to involve sales. And all of a sudden, yeah, it is a company wide initiative, which, which can make it um, a, a little bit tricky. Um, and so since we're kind of on the topic and interesting that you folks created, you know, custom lead to account. So I guess lean data is not part of the stack. I was curious to hear a little bit about what, um, what the core RevOps stack is today at uh, Nihilus. And uh, yeah, anything like any tool that um, you think like warrants a shout out or things that you've tried and it didn't necessarily work as well as you expected, um, anything of the sort? Yeah, good question. So I'm not that close to our middleware tech stack yet. I'm still you know, 90 days in learning about everything. But I know that our um, our process includes Woopra and it will send the users over to Marketo. 
So Marketo is kind of that initial recipient of all of our developers that have created a trial account and then um, connects over to Salesforce. And we don't use lean data, although I am a big lean data fan, so I'll still give them a shout out. Uh, <laughs> but our team uses Traction Complete for lead routing. We don't rely on that quite as much for um, the lead to account matching, but I think they do offer it. So uh, definitely something to explore in the future as we have, you know, chances to go take a look at all of our custom built things. Um, and then we use uh, Gong for conversation intelligence. We recently decided that we want to adopt Gong for our forecasting needs as well. So we're excited about that. Um, Madkudu customers on the inbound side and just understanding and scoring all of the users that are coming into our world, whether that's through the product or not. Um, so we're, I would say about halfway through the Madkudu implementation, very excited to keep that going. Um, other key tools, I'm trying to not leave anything out here. Does the, so Salesforce, Marketo, Woopra for uh, kind of like moving the, I guess like from an analytics, like activity uh, in the product, does that go into a data warehouse and then Woopra helps push it into Marketo or kind of what's the flow there? Yeah, we have some very summarized metrics that are going from Woopra to Marketo to Salesforce. Uh, but what I'm looking forward to with actually an upcoming release that our team is doing, we're going to have the event mapping actually feed into Madkudu now through a data warehouse. And so I'm really eager to see how that helps in our analysis of, you know, these interesting moments and what needs to happen to get someone to progress to the place where they're feeling very strongly about Nihilus's product. Um, we are also introducing a new experience with the product itself. So today, um, if you start a free trial, you've got X number of days, you need to read the documentation, you can get support if you need it, but it's just not that easy to get through on your own. So we really, we often are talking to people that are serious about their trial through the support channels. And so we're essentially releasing a new experience that is a much better um, trial. And then at the end, you will be able to make a purchase if you want to. Um, to have, you know, a sandbox account and up to certain number of, of accounts with Nihilus. So that's all becoming different here in the next couple of months. And then once that launches, we'll have a whole host of new metrics that I'm eager to start tracking because we were able to, you know, kind of build it with that end in mind this time. Makes sense. Do you use a, a live chat tool uh, for people that are in product? You know, that's something that we're looking at. I mean, we have qualified for the website and I think mm -hmm. also for our help docs. And then they're trying to figure out which one we want to put into the product. And do you know if that would be manned by um, the sales org or rather by the support org for the free trial users? Super timely question. I think we're trying to figure that out. Um in my opinion, I think that we could easily create a role that's kind of like an SDR, but instead there's support for the people that are in the trial. And so they would need to be technical enough to give that first line support, but savvy enough to also talk to them about getting onto a plan, um, talking to a salesperson. So 
I think that that type of role uh, should be more common. And if it doesn't exist yet, I would think that it would be on the way. And I don't know what exactly you would call that role. It's it's not necessarily sales, but it's just like a, a customer success, you know, adoption specialist or something um, who can help you out, but it can still be in that very easy, like round robin kind of fashion where they're just there to chat with you and help out. Right. I think, and this uh, is a great segue to, um, I guess, like one of the broader conversations around PLG, right? One of the challenges that I see a lot of companies run into, especially when they're bringing PLG to, uh, you know, a sales led organization is how to think about, you know, commissions and compensation yeah. in general, but commissions in particular. Um, and so I'm really curious to hear how um, Nihilus approaches this to make sure that, again, when we put the user at the center, either we're not necessarily trying to push for the biggest land initially, but how we still keep um, the reps incentivized and, you know, like comped on, on expansion, potentially just curious to see how you folks are thinking about it and anything again that has worked or hasn't. Yep. Great point. So today you can only buy Nihilus on a contract. And so that is something that's going to be changing when we roll out this new experience and you've pretty much teed up the debate. It's, you know, how do we make sure that the reps are still incentivized to move quickly and perhaps, you know, not overcommit the volume at the very beginning of the contract because we've got that time to grow into it. And how do you reconcile that? Because if I am trying to hit a number, I can do three deals at a certain deal size and hit my number, or I can do two deals at a bigger deal size and also hit my number. So I think with this topic, along with most things, it requires a little bit of analysis to make sure that you have a little data coming in to prove out, you know, are you experiencing any cannibalization? And if you're not, that makes it a little easier. I think with most of the people that I've gotten advice from so far, that first year, they always have a little extra credit spread around to all of the people that are helping out just to de-risk it. And then over time, if we can prove that there's not a lot of cannibalization, we can decide, you know, who gets credit for what. Um, maybe, you know, it's a it's a phased approach where they're getting some overlapping credit in the beginning and it starts to wean off when the volumes really go up. But I think that in a perfect world, they are going to just have a much more qualified set of people to go have conversations with. They'll be able to talk to them about how they're already using it, the growth they've already experienced, the plans they have for the future. It's really the warmest lead that that you can work with. So that's something that I'm very optimistic for. And um, I do think that maybe for that first year, maybe the rep should get some credit for the organic expansion that happens on that account just to keep them interested, help them set that person up for success right from the start because they know that they get a full year's worth of, you know, kind of sharing in that success too. Makes sense. Um, and I think, and this is one that's, it's, it's so tricky, right? Because um, like multiple companies do it like very different ways. And one of the challenges as you're rolling something like this out, trial and error is usually one of the best ways to figure out like, you know, testing is, is the best kind of mm -hmm. way to find ideal scenario. But it's one thing to do A-B testing on the website. It's very different to do testing that relates directly to comp and people obviously, especially sales reps where comp is like, you know, 50 plus percent of their 
uh, I mean, commission is 50 plus percent of their compensation. So it's one of those areas that's so tricky. And I think we've seen a lot of companies get success by initially being willing to, you know, add a little bit more commission and just like mm -hmm. be a little bit more, um, yeah, kind of like uh, spraying everywhere and then starting to get narrower uh, definitions of what is uh, commission or not, because otherwise that cannibalization becomes like a legend and everyone gets worried about it. Um, especially when you have tools like, like yours that have a consumption based model where, you know, someone who's going to adopt this on their own is probably initially go only going to use it in one very specific use case, but then they're slowly going to see value and migrate to all use cases. So there's even, you know, companies that do this from a, um, logo acquisition so basically they'll say we know that this they segment their logos and saying like this logo is, is typically a size of wallet of x amount and so they essentially create quotas based on how much size of wallet did you close rather than how much of the share did you actually bring in so that's a way to keep incentivizing your rep stores like yes we want to close bigger organizations that have more potential but don't worry about capturing as much of the wallet initially um it's one of those where then it becomes interesting because then there's a lot of work on on your end which is what you're talking about the analysis and saying like when we look at our uh kind of size of wallet for different companies what does it look like and what does our, you know, current inbound actually look like to be able to allocate things uh, accordingly? Um, so it's, it's super interesting that you folks are uh, already looking into that. And, and maybe that bridges into my next question, which is, you've been pretty vocal about which part of the organization uh, RevOps should, uh, should roll into. Mm -hmm. um, how has that perspective changed over time? And especially in a PLG context, what, how even like more different, I guess, would you consider it to be? I don't think I would say that it has changed much. Um, I, of course, I think you will always have some, some nuances depending on who's at the table, right? Who are you working with? Um, what kind of sales leader do you have? What kind of marketing leader do you have, et cetera? So I think that the people involved can sway the effectiveness of it in a sense. But now that I'm working with more of a product-led team and more of a developer-centric product, it makes me even more glad, I would say, that I'm not sitting under the sales umbrella because... I need to be as close to product and engineering as I do to sales and marketing. And in fact, you know, it's easy to joke about sales and marketing alignment and, you know, getting them to get along and getting them to understand each other. That's always been a struggle, but at least it's like a well-known struggle, I think. And, you know, product and sales that's a little different. And I would say that's still evolving and it's a little bit newer relationship that you see forming in these companies that do have a product led component. So I'm excited to help keep all of these teams on the same page, keep them connected. It's the little things that come down to, you know, everyone's perception. And like you said, it, the cannibalization idea just becomes this like myth or legend that takes over 
And if you are getting all of your reporting back out from sales, is there a chance there's going to be a little bit of a bias that shows additional cannibalization? Maybe. I think it depends on the people. Um, if all of the reports come out of product, is it going to show the opposite? You know, maybe. But if it's coming from, you know, this objective third party in the middle that can say, look, guys, this is the exact level of cannibalization that I'm able to observe. I've got, you know, really no skin in the game either way. I'm just helping you guys find your way to a place that makes sense. Um, I hope that's helpful. And again, I think it, it depends on the people, but um, yeah, I would say I still feel the same about trying to stay centralized in a RevOps fashion. How, um, what are the arguments that you would recommend someone use to potentially move that RevOps function that they lead away from pure go-to-market? Like, and let's be honest, very often CRO is basically a fancy title for VP of sales yeah. towards something that's more centralized. I think it's just about removing some of those biases and really helping to prioritize on behalf of the business. And, you know, if you are under a sales umbrella, your object, your objectives are directly related to your leader's objectives. And I am a fan of OKRs and I think that that's how it works. It just cascades. It's like, okay, the sales leaders, OKRs are, this much revenue, this kind of retention and this kind of efficiency improvement. Now those are mine. And so I think that you can, you can still do it correctly from under the sales umbrella. If you're almost kind of actively working against just inheriting the sales goals. Um, but I love having the ability to help the exec team, you know, make decisions about how to allocate resources around sales and marketing and product and, you know, all the different ways that that can weave together, um, finding the places where they intersect and the places where we all have shared interest and helping everybody understand that funnel, I think is really important. And, you know, if, if RevOps is just under sales, I think what you risk is not having a good understanding of the rest of the business and not having the partnerships that you need um, to do the best work first and the most important things first. And you can't always prioritize the way that you want to. Yeah. And then often you start seeing these other kind of ops or like a data ops organization, like a growth ops that, you know, have a lot of overlap, but then there's, there isn't necessarily like the benefit of, uh, having everything centralized and having that kind of economy of scale when it all, um, belongs to the same org. Um, and so from that, again, for, for people out there, uh, that are, you know, looking to hire in RevOps functions, um, it, it's a role, I think that that's really difficult to hire for and great talent because it's fairly, fairly new. Um, so I'm curious to hear like how, um, how do you do it? Like, right. How, how have you been able to put together an awesome RevOps team? Yeah, I do think that there is an element of specialization that we still need to embrace even within RevOps for a period of time. And I guess I'm saying a period of time in someone's own career. So if I 
if I think about my own journey, I started in marketing operations and I was pretty highly specialized in marketing operations for almost 10 years. Um, and then I found my way into revenue operations. So then I started adding on a sales layer and then I started adding on these alignment layers. And then I started learning so much more about finance because I reported to the CFO. And so the more that you learn, it starts to inform the way that you interact with all of those teams, the way that you build relationships and communicate. And so today I still have someone on my team that's dedicated specifically to marketing operations, but my hope for them is that they're learning about the rest of the business from the rest of the team in a way that they can first effectively go relay all of that information to marketing to keep them in the loop. They can see what it's like to prioritize across these different business units because you only got one Salesforce admin, right? So everything gets in line and comes together at the Salesforce store. <laughs> and um, I like to have all of my, you know, kind of like specialized team members witnessing that prioritization. And I ask them to participate in it too. So it's like, hey, marketing ops guy and sales ops guy, which one do you think we should do first? Let's talk about that. And you will see them find ways to bring the two projects together, find the elements that are similar, restack things a little bit and say, okay, in this next release, it should be 20% marketing and 70% sales and 10% product because they follow this common theme. And that's the next big theme we need to tackle. So I would say until you start leading a RevOps team of your own, it's totally fine to still have that specialization. But I think in the right model, you can be exposed to the rest of the business at the same time, and that can benefit everyone. Makes sense. And, and when you're hiring in a PLG context, how important would you say it is to find people that have been exposed to this kind of like hybrid funnels and, um, or yeah, what are kind of the, the skills that you would typically look for in trying to bring someone into the team? So I did have a very specific um, former colleague in mind for our marketing ops director because he did have a very specific PLG background that I was very interested in learning from him. Um, and that did play a part in my decision-making process. I think that this is a really hard thing to get right. And so every time you go to a new company, you're kind of bringing with you the wisdom of like what you would not do again. And that just evolves with every, with every new role. Um, so Tyler is his name. He joined a couple months ago. He has been, you know, very helpful to say, well, here's how we tried it. And here's the reason I didn't like it. So maybe this is a better way to do it instead. And, um, Certain things work and, and certain things you just learn from it. So I love the fact that he can have some of that PLG experience. I don't think it needs to be every single person on the team, but if you have not been through it before, you definitely need to have the appetite to go and, and research it and learn because it's a whole new ball game. Yeah. And even the, the standard setups and Salesforce or standard quote unquote, right. For, yeah. for PLG is something that. There's a lot of mistakes that everyone makes the first time. So it's just helpful to have someone who's already been through that and can help kind of skip through a couple of the, the iterations um, yeah. all the way to that success. Um, yeah. yeah. And I guess like there's stuff, I know you were mentioning this, like not 
being hung up on like, oh, like Zoom info should be the lead source for pretty much everything. Uh, and just like understanding their signups and <clears throat> like measurements is more complex from a this like hybrid funnel perspective, like people signing up to the product or registering for webinars and like yep. not trying to do attribution all the time, but just like embracing the fact that users have a more complete journey before they're ready to engage with uh, with a rep. Yeah, it's extremely rare that someone wants to follow your user journey the way that you've drawn it, in my experience. <laughs> so instead of trying to draw out this perfect line of sequenced events, I just, I'd rather be able to observe their actions, react to them in the moment and have the right person reach out at the right time and not too soon and not too late. <laughs> Silly, stubborn users. Can't they just follow the customer journey that we designed for them? <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> awesome. Well, this was, uh, this was great. Super insightful. And, and thanks a ton for, uh, for sharing all these stories. Um, one last question. And I mentioned this as being the most important question. Um, but yes, to be on topic, what is your uh, favorite Nick Cage movie? All right. I think I've narrowed it down. It's not necessarily my favorite, but the very first one that came to mind was City of Angels. And so I don't think I've heard anyone mention that on your podcast yet. Podcast I yet. don't think so either. And it's definitely uh, it's definitely a good one. And uh, I, I had completely forgotten, but one of the actors in there is Captain Holt from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it was like one of the the, one of the first times I, I saw him. Really? Anyway, yeah. If you oh. look up the cast, like the, yeah, Captain Holt is there. Um, I'll do that. Definitely a, a great pick. Again, thanks a ton for sharing all your wisdom. If people want to reach out to you, if they want to know a little bit more, what's the best way to be in touch? Um, I would just say LinkedIn. It's easy enough. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And looking forward to seeing you soon. And everyone stay tuned for the next one. All right. Thank you very much.